We're happy to report that we are back and survived AWS reInvent. As promised, reInvent is a heavyweight of a conference, and this year did not disappoint. With four keynotes, over 3,000 sessions, and hundreds of new product and feature announcements, we've got a lot of ground to cover. In fact, we have so much to share with you that we are splitting this into a special two-part mini-series. In this episode of MobyCast, we start by recapping some of the big keynote sessions and discuss the new products and technologies that we are most excited about. Welcome to MobyCast, a show about the techniques and technologies used by the best cloud-native software teams. Each week, your hosts John Christensen and Chris Hickman pick a software concept and dive deep to figure it out. Welcome, Chris. It's another episode of MobyCast. Hey, John. It's good to be back. Yeah, good to have you back. So, Chris... What were you up to last week from Sunday to Friday? Sunday to Friday. Sunday to Friday was a whirlwind blur. <laughs> um, so, yes, we were, we were uh, at reInvent in Las Vegas, and uh, it, was, it was definitely felt like a, uh, a heavyweight 12-round match. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, I didn't have a second. You know, we have, I think we mentioned before the team from Argentina came this year, and I was so excited to see them. And Raul wrote to me on Slack just yesterday. He, I was sort of like, oh, it would have been nice to hang out more, but we were pretty busy. And he goes, yeah, we didn't even get to have dinner together. And yeah. I was like, oh, man, <laughs> that's so bad. Ugh, so much going on. And even when we, went to, when we all went to replay, we still didn't have dinner together. <laughs> I know. We lost each other at the beginning, and then that, that was it. Yeah. Everyone was just gone, and then fi- like there was no cell service. And then um, eventually, I finally got a little window of cell service of Raul saying, hey, I'm about to leave. Oh. <laughs> yeah, so w- welcome to the madness that is reInvent. You know, 65,000 yes. 65, of, your, of your closest friends, you know, packed over six venues, 3,000 plus sessions. I mean, I don't know about you, but... I was out out the door every morning at like seven a.m. and and really didn't get back to about ten p.m. at night and yep lather rinse repeat each day so it was it was quite the buffet if you will of of just just learning um, and content and and activities and everything else yeah and I mean I didn't get to all the sessions this year only about two thirds of them only about two thousand how about you Chris I did a little bit better than that I went to <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, I did I, so I did seventeen <laughs> sessions. I did. Um, I went to three keynotes. Okay. Went to several um, after hours receptions for various things, and mm-hmm. then there was replay. So, I mean, I, one of the days I think I hit six sessions, basically all back to back, and that oh, was how that, that was that was pretty rough. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but it's you know. I'm, I'm mostly going there for the learning. There is so much learning to do. It's a great place to do it and just really just drink from the fire hose. Yep. Let's see. I I didn't do as many sessions because I definitely wanted to spend time trying to track some people down and meet with people, which is a project in and of itself. Um, and then also, uh, I did a couple workshops this year. So Kelsis, um, the other company that we sometimes talk about, has some clients that are doing IOT and, and um, while I you know am familiar with IOT, 
architecture and principles, like we haven't used a lot of the IoT services from AWS yet. So it just was like, oh, I need to go figure this stuff out. I need to make sure that I have my head around it. And so I did, I did some workshops on IoT and they were a super fun. I've got a, a freaking drink dispenser that I brought home. That's so cool that you can use from the internet. And then B, like just really actually exactly what I needed to, to, you know, just see how all the pieces work and, and put them all together. So it was just like very pragmatic to go to these workshops for me. Cool. Which is a little bit of a, um, I think a, um, different take on versus our, yeah. our, our pre-show, um, yeah. uh, that we did where we kind of like poo-pooed the, uh, the builders labs, the builder sessions, the workshops, the chalk tops yeah. and said, you know, the sessions are where the lecture style sessions is where it's at. So kind of good that, um, you did find some, some alternative, sessions that you enjoyed and got a lot out of. Yeah, and I think, you know, the difference for me is the one I had been referring to before was like all done for you and you use their computers and and these ones they were different. You use it was bring your own computer. It wasn't bring your own AWS account, but bring your own computer and and get in there and do stuff with your own computer and there's something about that 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 just helps things stick for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, that, and again, that's that difference between the Workshops and the builders sessions versus the hands-on labs, and so I think the hands-on mm-hmm. labs is what you did before. Where that's they have like a hundred different pre-canned, put-together labs for you yeah. to work on using their computers. It's it's just mm-hmm. you know walk up, and if there's a computer station available, you just sit down and start playing around with it. And it's the same labs that you get online, um, right? You know, from, yeah, you can do it from your from your desk at home, right? Yeah, so cool. Um, I'm sure that. Some listeners want to know more than just our personal uh, experience. Um, maybe, maybe some of our our more professional thoughts about what we learned and what AWS is up to in the world, and how that changes our whole you know landscape of being software developers. Yeah, absolutely. Wanna, yeah, so yeah. so rather so the tons of content there, um, and rather than going into a recap deep dive on each one of the sessions or or even selected ones kind of figured today we would just let's kind of recap the the three primary keynotes and then as we recap that we'll we'll tease out some of like what we think are the the important themes here and the takeaways and then that's what we'll really finish up with is like okay what what really are the main things to take away from this? Where do we see the innovation happening? What's what's important to know going forward? Like, what should we start to come up to speed on? Type thing. You know, what were the lessons learned? Um, and we'll fi- we'll finish with that. Cool. All right. So, uh, do you want to talk about Andy's first, or do you want to talk about the Monday Night Madness first? You know, let, let's we'll go with the Monday Night Madness. We'll go in chronological order. Yeah. So Monday, I don't know about you. I'd never been to a Monday Monday Night Madness. Um, keynote before and um so it was kind of interesting to me being my first one it's uh oh sorry it was monday night live and that's oh, confused <laughs> with sunday night yeah. madness yes Mid- or midnight, midnight madness. madness yes so, on sunday night yes, yes. versus yes <laughs> so mon- monday night live you're right with with, with yeah, yeah, yeah and so this one is usually this is about infrastructure and this ended up being mostly all about like high performance computing Supercomputing, networking, and machine learning infrastructure, and basically how all this stuff is is intertwined. So it was really a focus on what are we doing from an infrastructure standpoint that has like taken us, you know, continuing allow allowing us to continue to innovate and take us into the future. 
And so it was pretty interesting just to see the progression. So Moore's Law has existed for, for quite some some time, right? But right. we're starting to run up to some very, very real problems with that. And so, you know, we're, it's, it's almost like you, you got to start thinking about different approaches, right? So there's, you know, different types of compute, like quantum computing, which we'll talk about a little bit. Um, but then you really kind of go from the, the monolithic model, if you will, to like, okay, the microservices approach where you're going to have clusters. Mm-hmm. And that's how you, you get the gains. And, and so that, that was really a large part of, of this particular talk. So it, it started off with just kind of discussing like high performance computing. What is it? You know, it's abbreviated HPC. I think we've all seen the acronym. We've we've seen it. Um, you know, talked about or or seen references to it. But it's like, eh, is that really something that I care about? Um, you know, I right, don't have right. any need for it, right? And and he started off this way, you know, framing it in that context. And you know, by the end of it, I think it it was kind of like um, just made much more um, relevant to us that like this these kinds of techniques are really going to be necessary going forward. So I I want to I want to try to tell you what my mental model is of this and see and like bash it against you and see if it makes sense to you. So my mental model is like in the beginning the chips were able to do one instruction at a time. You give it an instruction, it does it. Next one, next one, next one. It's all in serial. Then comes along this idea of pipelining, pipelining instructions. So you can kind of be working on more than one instruction at once with a, with a single chip. Then after that comes like this whole concept of multiple cores. So you have a single chip and it's got different cores on it and there's a way for it to like move some instructions to different cores so that it's almost like you've got four computers inside of one computer, but everything is really close together. Um, so it's easy to move the instructions around to the core that they need to run on and get more work done with a single computer. And then what this feels like is, let's take that one step further. And yeah, we've, we've always had networked computers, right? And they've always been able to do, you know, different things and maybe they could all be involved in solving the same problem. But what if we could, sort of compile one executable and have it run across a cluster of computers without actually you know thinking of it as a cluster of computers and what would it take to be able to do that like how could we get the the actual networking latency across those computers low enough that the whole set of computers acts like a single computer is that along the lines of of what this is about yeah absolutely i mean this is the whole um basically divide and conquer approach to, to scalability. We've seen it in software, we've seen it in data, and so it's the same thing now with 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 computers themselves. And so that mm-hmm. that progression of like, okay, what are the ways that we can basically just divvy divvy it up and spread it across multiple things, whether it be across multiple cores or, you know, multiple pipelines. Now in order to scale we needed to partition the problem up into discrete parts that can be executed simultaneously on other computers. Um, and that's how we scale, right? That's going to be the method of scaling. And that, that's literally what a supercomputer is. Right. And the two pieces of magic to this feel like one is that actual hardware, up, you know, hardware slash protocol upgrades to make the networking faster, to make the hardware able to talk from computer to computer faster so that it all is like, 
feels like a single computer. So that feels like one, like one part of the magic. But the other part of the magic feels like kind of doing some stuff automatically so that you're not having to actually break the problem down yourself, but that, you know, intelligent routing of instructions is happening based on your executable. Yeah. You know, you see what I mean? Yeah. So, so I, and I think, you know, we've been limited by the former and the latter is actually more, is more real. It's been here. Right. So the, the software to basically do that partitioning and then bring it back together. Right. Um, like, that's kind of existed. It's just that we've been limited by the hardware. Okay. Um, it's just the the number of nodes that we can, the number of computers that we can have in these clusters, is just limited based upon just certain fundamental constraints. And so, and that's really where this 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 talk was going with 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 HPC and high performance computing and leading into like supercomputers, where you know talking about how the largest com- supercomputers can have thousands of servers but really what the the it ends up becoming like this this hardware problem bottleneck where you can't, they can't communicate to each other fast enough and that mm-hmm. becomes the limiting the limiting factor so mm-hmm. um I the fabric the fabric of of just communication was was a problem so there so so AWS has made lots of investments here and that's primarily what they were what what they were kind of highlighting was like we we have a couple new new big advancements that we've been worked on. One is like we have really rethought how to do system design, and that has resulted in the creation of their Nitro system. Yeah, we'll, we'll we'll definitely talk about um, a bit more. And then from a networking standpoint, they've kind of reimagined networking and looked at what the problems are there. And come up with some novel solutions. So they have, um, they've come out with a, a new new way of networking with their elastic fabric adapter, the EFA, and then and and a new networking protocol called um, Scalable Reliable Datagram (SRD), which is really going after the fundamental problems that they're running into with TCP. Mm-hmm. Um, so TCP wasn't really, I mean, it was built, you know defined many, many, many years ago for networking between two computers over a network and it became the backbone for the internet and point-to-point communications and works great for that. But when you need to have when you have a lots of computers all on basically, you know, the same same network trying to communicate with each other very, very quickly with results and passing around lot lots of amount of data, TCP is not nearly consistent enough. Mm-hmm. Um, there's too much variability built into it, and it just has some fundamental technical problems with it. So between Nitro and EFA with SRD, those are two really big advancements that they've made that now get some past this um, problem. So now they've in, and there was a lot of charts and benchmarks and whatnot, but I mean the the net result was like without Nitro and without EFA, you could scale up to like let's say it's about 150 nodes, instances, VMs, basically strung together to make a, a supercomputer. And then after that, like you didn't really get any more gains adding nodes to it. And that was because of, this, of these fundamental problems that they had. Um, and then with Nitro and with EFA, that problem goes away, that bottleneck. So they're now seeing linear 
linear performance gains as they continue to add nodes to it, Oof. which which is which is just wonderful, right? <laughs> so, so it's now That's opening cool. up. I mean, like I'm laughing, but like this is it, Chris. Like this is it. This is where the innovation is, right? Like you went to this. Um, you went to this keynote and I missed it because I just was a fool about how I signed up for the keynotes. And then you told me about what they talked about afterwards, and that was my takeaway. I was like, that this is where software is progressing, is inside the cloud with with companies like AWS, like totally reimagining computers and how they talk to each other because they control the, they control it all, top to bottom. So mm-hmm. let's. Yeah. Break up computers into different parts. Let's make chips that do different things. Like, yeah, you can do so much more. It's like, it's like, you know, I think of Apple too, like the whole ecosystem around the iPhone, top to bottom. Like, of course, it's like so great because they control everything. Well, same thing with the cloud. If you control everything top to bottom in the cloud, you can really make a lot of progress. Yeah. And it's, you know, everything is building on the previous work, mm-hmm. right? So yes. it's like, it's absolutely an ex- exponential chart, right, of gains. So, you know, early on, you're, you're putting in all that foundational work, right, to build up your platform and to give you all the various capabilities. So think about how much work folks like AWS have done just on compute, on storage, on networking, on security, management, all that stuff, right? And now they're that's a great core competitive advantage right they've got that foundation in place and now rolling <laughs> out stuff on top of that can it's it's really um you know being able to integrate with it and they can innovate so much faster and every it's just it's amazing it's though. crazy it's amazing right like that they could be innovating on top of this stuff because part of me just imagines like people running around with their hair on fire trying to add enough disk fast enough Right, like as everyone's like, I'm putting my data in AWS. <laughs> like, oh my God, get another disk. We got to get there. <laughs> yeah. Well, but meanwhile, I mean, they're like, oh, actually, we're going to design a new chip and do 150 million other things at the same time. Yeah. It's all done on a scale that it's kind of hard to comprehend. Yeah, and, that's what I mean, I'm talking about. Yeah. So, I mean, remember, Amazon has. A half million employees now, or six hundred thousand. I mean, it's some, it's some ridiculous number, right? Now, no, that's not all AWS, right? But AWS is, you know, a very large portion of that as well. It's not half, I'm sure, but I mean, is it a hundred thousand or one hundred fifty thousand? I don't know, but I mean, it's a, they have they have a lot of people, they have a lot of experts, they have a lot of PhDs, mm-hmm. they have. Tons of um, infrastructure in place. Yeah, they have. So you can have ten thousand people running around with their hair on fire, plugging in discs, and still have enough left over to think about yeah. the big picture. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they have over two hundred pops points of presence, Ugh. right? So these are essentially data centers, right? So mm-hmm. they have over two hundred spread over the entire world. They, we talk about the internet, internet, back, the networking backbone. They have their own dedicated backbone that they built. So they have their own cables, undersea cables, right? That it's just Amazon traffic. Wow. It's not shared with anyone else. And so they have this global network in place, you know, big fat pipes um, to build that networking backbone. They have 200 plus data centers. Um, Like everything they do is at a, is at a scale that's really kind of hard to, to understand. So, you know, they're, they're, 
they're, they aren't running around with their hair on fire, like looking for a disc <laughs> or anything like that, right? Like they they are over provisioned, right? But they're also they're they've you know one of the things that 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 Werner one of his quotes was like there's um, there's no compression algorithm for experience. And mm-hmm, I loved that one. Yeah, you know that's really true here. So it's like Ada, they have been doing this for twenty plus years now, starting off with Amazon and just going through that rapid growth of Amazon and the retail site crashing and burning. Really hard lessons, you know. Really hard lessons. Learned. Right, that's what I'm talking about. It's like not that long ago where they were running around with their hair on fire. So yep. it's like how yep. they how they turned that corner is amazing. Yeah. Well, they had. I mean, in order to get to where they are now, I mean, they had to do that. Right? Mm-hmm. Otherwise, they they wouldn't be around. So, mm-hmm. um, so yeah. So they're just tremendous amounts of of innovation now that's based upon all that previous experiment experience and all of the technology that they built to date. And it's just again kind of mind boggling of like what's now the result of it. So like this, you know, in this talk on in the 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 Monday Night Live about like okay we're we can now build these supercomputers um, out of clusters of VMs instead of having like this huge big box traditional supercomputer that costs so much more money and is really, there's only like, you know, 50 of them in the whole world. We can now build these with, with all of our standard infrastructure. And so we're now getting results where something, you know, like a um, computational fluid dynamics program that a uh, problem that took six hours to simulate before now takes 30 minutes. Wow. Right. So that's, that's a 12 X, mm-hmm. you know, performance increase mm-hmm. there. You know, another example is like they're, they're looking, I mean, so networking has gotten a 20 X increase in performance just in the last six years. So it's now enabling, they, they can string together 5,000 C five N instances, VMs with hundred gigabit networking so that's 360,000 cores with 960 terabytes of memory. <laughs> and that's what they can do now, right? right so right. Ma- I mean, so the computing power that you have there and the kind of problems that you can you can solve and how quickly you can solve them, it's again it's just like I mean 5 years ago that was like unthinkable. Right. And it's now reality. And so what is it going to be five years from now? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I don't know. I, I mentioned my friend Andrew Blum's book, The Weather Machine, before, but I hadn't read it. Now, and I actually listened to it on the way to reInvent. Mm-hmm. Um, and it totally talked about using supercomputers to model the weather. Mm-hmm. Like the weather model lives in supercomputers that the European, you know, you hear the euro, like that's the European weather model, mm-hmm. lives in a supercomputer. Um, they might be looking over at AWS now. It should I mean, be the, right, right. It's yeah, like, I mean, this is this is one of the classic problems, right? So, yeah. absolutely, like this is weather simulation, um, CFD, computational fluid dynamics, um, AI, ML. I mean, there's mm-hmm. there's a lot of um, potential, you know, application uh, drugs, um, uh, yeah. simulations, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, think like there's just so many. There's going to be so many new problems and application domains that can now be modeled yeah. um, with this kind of power. So things that before seemed just so, I mean, I, I kind of see it's like at, at some point, like we'll be able to actually model like the human body, the human system, right. And right. all the biology that goes on in it. Right. There's so many inputs to it. Um, there's so many variables, but you know, is once you can build that model, we're going to have, we, we have the competing power to, to actually run it. Yeah. 
you know? And so once you do that, now it's like, you know, can you get rid of like, (laughs) what will happen if I have this chocolate? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) yeah, exactly. Right. Yes. Yeah. So really pretty interesting. Um, and so that keynote was rounded out with just talking about also like the advances that they're, they're doing just with machine with AI ML infrastructure. So they, they did announce, um, three new types of instances so they have and they're all based so all instances going forward are going to be based on nitro and so that gives you that 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 enhanced networking and um gives you a lot of the um other features that come along with nitro which we'll we will talk about a little bit here but um so three new instances the p3dn instances um so these um you know, analogous to the P, the P family instances. So definitely for doing ML. So for right. doing training models, yeah. um, the G4 um, DN instances is, is new. So that's the, the G family, which is um, more for um, inference in, in um, ML. Mm-hmm. And then the new inf one instances, and these are utilizing that custom silicon that they've built the inferentia processor. Mm-hmm. So this is a this is a custom high performance machine learning inference chip done by 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 AWS. And so this is another big theme that we're seeing is that you know AWS acquired Annapurna Labs, I think about four or five years ago. Yeah. So you know they're a chip making company, and they are just going going gangbusters now on just making custom silicon. Um, for all these various, um, inst- you know, instance types, features, and so there's custom silicon with going against you know AI and ML. It's there's custom silicon in the Nitro controller that's allowing that to happen, and then there, and even in some of the the new the new product launches they had. So we'll we'll talk a little bit about Aqua, but Aqua is another new system that's using that has custom silicon in it. To get much better performance when communicating with S3 and bringing that into Redshift, right? And that's not even a hard decision. It's like any software that they have that kind of gets deployed on every single one of their instances or gets run across the entire infrastructure, kind of always, and that's stable. It's like move that into silicon. We don't need that, um, yeah, as software anymore. Yeah, absolutely. So them having that that just breadth of of knowledge and experience, and again, you know. There's no compression algorithm for that. They've been doing this for a while now. Mm-hmm. This is now just part of their tool set. So it's it's not just you know throwing computers together. It's now they're building chips. They're building networking um, hardware and protocols. Their algorithms. There's I mean just networking. Um, I mean just everything across the the, the whole gamut. Yeah. So, <laughs> like the only place my mind goes here is like, ah, oh, I just want to be able to touch and play with that and have access to it. And it's a little unfortunate that it's you know all proprietary, all owned by Amazon. And who knows, right? Like we don't really get to have a say in their decisions. We cover a lot of information here on MobyCast, and if you've ever wanted to go back and remind yourself of something we talked about in a previous episode. It can be hard to search through our website and transcripts to find exactly what you're looking for. Well, now it's a lot easier. All you have to do is go to mobicast.fm slash show dash notes and sign up. 
We'll send you our weekly, super detailed outline that we use to actually record the show. A lot of times, this outline contains more information than we get to during our hour on the air. So sign up and get weekly MobyCash cheat sheets to all of our episodes delivered right to your inbox. Let's talk about this. I, I want to go to the I want to go to the next part or talk about another keynote. But one of the big takeaways that we have, maybe we can jump right to that takeaway, is like where is innovation happening? And th- this takeaway is it comes from looking at the expo floor and listening to the keynotes and going to sessions. And you know, in my mind, innovation is happening in the clouds. Um, it's happening inside Google, inside Microsoft, inside Amazon. It's good that it's happening across three clouds, at least, and not just in one. I do think AWS probably has a big head start on at least some of this stuff, but they all have head starts in certain areas, right? Mm-hmm. How much innovation did you see on the expo floor, Chris? So yeah, I, w- I would say walking the expo floor myself. I, d- I didn't get over to the to the Aria, so I don't know about that one, but I'm, um, I did do the Venetian, which is the bigger one. And you know, I wasn't. Uh, there wasn't a lot of booths there that that caught my eye. It, it did feel like a lot of the same same stuff, right? So it's there was a lot of folks there. I think that are dealing with hybrid cl- cloud. So mm-hmm. you know, yep. there's still a lot of people that are on prem that are looking to get to um, the cloud, um, or at least partially. And so all the whatever support they need to do that, right? Whether it's you know, like how do I move data from this place to that place? How do I do backup? How do I, you know, what's the story there? So there's a lot of companies out there in that space that are helping with that. Um, and that's a big part of the, the the trade show floor. There was obviously all of our good friends in the APM space. Um, <laughs> so yep. many booze out there in APM, right? Right. So Datadog and New Relic and Splunk and Signal FX, I mean, which is now owned by Splunk, but there's um so there, there's there's those guys and there were you know some of the bigger players like there was you know Dell was there and VMware um but again you know it's like not I mean they have their their place in what they're doing right and so mm-hmm. a lot of you know a lot of these players are there again really in support of hey you've been on prem you want to move to cloud it's a big, hard problem. It's a lot of work, and we're going to help you with that. Mm-hmm. There's also a bunch of vendors that were like, "Let's take this problem that's kind of hard and try to make it easier for you. GUIize it, you know, block, you know, make it blocks and arrows, kind of stuff." And that's really like, I don't know. It's underwhelming to see those companies too. Yeah, like I, there was one company there that was. They said, I mean, basically, their I think their whole value proposition was they were a GUI. For snowball, mm. <laughs> and and I, I I was just a little that's, that's a bit of a head scratcher because right. it's like I mean like first of all I mean how many people are using snowball right so is your market big enough and like how much and then how much are they going to pay for a GUI when at the end of the day it's like an S three copy um, right right to get your data onto a snowball and then you just you know ship it on its way so yeah there's quite a few companies I think in that space. As well, so I, it's hard, right? Because like, you don't people know, like I mean, you can't. You don't want to be in a space where you know you're going to be competing with with the big ones like AWS, right? Mm-hmm. So you're not going to see someone doing like um, voice transcription, right? Like code, right? They're 
and the ones that do like the ones that are there that are kind of end up being in the crosshairs are the ones that are surprised I think so you know like I one of the ones that caught my um, caught my eye was a booth that said oh we have AI for enterprise search um, and so it's a company that says hey you know we can we're you know this is for the enterprise so as an you know you have you have information that's spread across a whole bunch of different places, right? So it could be in Dropbox, it could be in Google Drive, it could be in SharePoint. It's um, you know a mixture of like Word documents and maybe I don't know source code. It could be uh, other whatever it is, right? It's just it's just spread everywhere. So it's like and and no one it's it's kind of hard to find. So like this value proposition of like having this this one place where you can go and and type in a natural query, like say like. Hey, when is um, uh, how do I get a VPN connection account set up or something like that, right? And to be able to type that in, and then boom, there's here's the results, and it it went out and it it knew where the information was and it understood the the uh, context of your query and and prevent you know presented you the information, right? Which is a really that's a that's a really strong value proposition because it's a hard problem I think just about every company is dealing with mm-hmm. you know even just like an onboarding process of someone like yeah what does it take right to tell someone like here's all the information you need like here's how you get all your accounts set up here's how you get signed up for benefits here's how you access this system here's how you get credentials for that or whatnot it's it's a it's a mess right yeah. so so anyhow there there was a there was a company there that was doing that and then, of course, in one of the keynotes, Amazon announced, oh, by the way, here's a new <laughs> service that we have that basically does exactly this. And so this has happened before, and it's kind of always interesting to go and, you know, so I was talking with the, the vendor doing this and was kind of asking questions like, well, how does it work? And what about this? What about that? Um, and then my last question is like, well, so what do you think about Kendra, um, right. which is Amazon's this? And usually the answer is always like, oh, we're better. Right, you know, and it's like that's that's not a good place to be in, right? No, Just to say like we're better, no, um, or we've been doing it longer, right? Like those are not good reasons why like you're a better choice, right? Than that, right? Like, so I think those companies they get caught off guard mm-hmm. by this. The saving grace I think for those companies is going to be like they have to have the multi cloud approach. Yeah, like that is going to be their the way for them to to compete. Um, so, because I, I can think of there's several companies, other companies like in the same space where uh, Pulumi, I think, is one that's based here in the Seattle area. Yep. Where they're doing basically infrastructure as code, but via actual code like JavaScript or Python or whatnot. Right. Um, and that's what the CDK is that Amazon has now. Right. So, really pretty pretty apples to apples comparison. Like the big thing yeah. that I think Pulumi has is like they're gonna they're multi cloud. Yeah, good right? luck it's spinning up instances on Google Cloud with CDK. It's not gonna exactly, happen. Exactly, right? Yeah. It's not gonna happen. So so I mean so that that's that's a definitely a, a good, you know, competitive advantage for them and not being completely squashed by by AWS. Same thing goes for um Spot Instance is Spot Inst is another company, right? Where they're all about how do you best leverage spot instances as a fleet to lower your AWS bill. Mm-hmm. They're kind of in a, uh, again, it's, it's kind of, <laughs> they've done really well, yeah, right? Because yeah. AWS continues to roll out features 
that really enable that as you know as well. So they have Spot Fleet. They have now um, Spot support for Fargate. I mean, there there is just right so much that they're doing. Right? They they've come out with savings plans. They um, they they've they've really simplified the the whole pricing model for Spot instances. Um, and so their AWS has been doing a lot right to enable that. Yes, but. You know, Spotinst is still they're they're growing very healthily. They're doing well. I think again, they have a multi-cloud approach, mm. right? So they they work with the others, the other providers. And I think it's also it's one of those things where AWS they don't care if Spotinst is successful. It's they don't really view them as a competitive threat because right. at the end of the day, they are in they are making their channel. better business. Yeah. Well, it's better business for AWS, right? Because at the end of the day, spot instances are just unused yeah. capacity that's just sitting there idle that they're not making any money off of. And so if there's other folks out there that are helping to increase that utilization and to bring it up, then that's a great thing for AWS, right? And so they're not they're gonna have a friendly relationship with and it's like they'll have a friendly relationship and they'll be happy about spot ins, but they're also not gonna do anything at all to not worry about stepping over spot instant cutting into its market share. Like mm-hmm. it's both yeah. sides. It's kind of just Yeah. 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 It's true. Yeah. So should we talk about uh one of the other keynotes uh or the other two keynotes real quick? Um absolutely. Even yeah, though absolutely. they were only five hours total of keynote. <laughs> so yeah, so let's talk about Andy Jassy's keynote. Um so this is definitely the biggie. Uh this this year it was three hours long. Um so a long time to sit in your seat, but it you know honestly it didn't even feel that long. There was just so much information there, um, so much to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, as usual, Andy always has like a you know there's a theme to it, and then it's um, broken up into sections. And usually each section has a theme song mm-hmm. um, that goes along with it. So this year the theme for for Andy was transformation, and there were six aspects to this. So kind of starting off with. At the beginning, there, you know, the first one was "Don't wait until tomorrow," which is a Van Halen song right now. And the point here was just like, look, this this transformation of moving from basically from on-prem into the cloud or or using more of the cloud, it's a hard problem. But you know what? It's only going to get harder tomorrow if you don't start today. So mm-hmm. this is just kind of like more of a high-level. He was talking to the just, enterprise CEOs in the room. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So. You know, pointing out like just from the senior senior leadership team all the way down, like you need that conviction, that alignment to tackle those big problems now, and just put your aggressive top down goals in place. Don't go for like the small little projects and wins, right? Like have some some big audacious goals to go after. So very mm-hmm. much kind of a cultural process thing, but that was the the first facet of transformation, if you will. The next one uh, was. Don't stop me now. I'm having such a good time, which is Queen song. Um, and basically, the gist of this was that hey, developers love AWS and its capabilities. It has got the breadth, it's got the depth. We're talking like over 175 services, and you know this is the best place to 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 be working on. Um, and it's a lot of fun. Uh, mm-hmm. Also pointed out, there's a lot of room for growth here, though. And um, so the the I don't know if it's a Surprising metric, but it's it is what it is, and that is that for out of total IT spend, ninety seven percent is on prem, hmm. and only three three percent is cloud. Mm-hmm. Right? That's that's a big disparity, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. that is 
like there's a lot of room for growth there. Yeah. You know what though? All of a sudden I just had, had this thought like companies that are super cloud native, they almost don't really have an IT department. So it's kind of, a, you know what I mean? It's like their IT departments are so much smaller. So when you're adding up all that IT spend, it's going to obviously lean towards the on-prem companies because they're the ones that are running around plugging in computers. Um, so there's a yeah, little bit I, of weirdness I, there. I, this IT spend also includes like, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's whatever you're spending towards that stuff, right? So whether it's okay. you bought a computer for on-prem or whether you have an AWS bill that's uh, okay. 10,000 bucks a month, right? That's all IT spent. Okay. Yeah. Right. So Okay. Again, it's like the the very real You convinced me. Yeah. So yeah. it's the very real, you know, the very um real fact that you know, there was I mean, the cloud is new ish in that like we're really only talking like the last like 10 years or so versus the amount of on-prem investments, I mean, that goes back 50 years, right? you know, for some companies. So there's a lot of stuff that's, that's still there on-prem and people are still trying to figure out, like, how do they get to the cloud? Um, there was a long time there where people were like, hey, we're not going to move to the cloud because we don't think it's secure, right? right? Or we think, you know, there's going to be performance issues or whatnot. So a lot of those concerns have, have gone away. And um, so just folding right back into this, this transformation theme that he had for this keynote of, you know, don't put off those hard problems anymore. Like you, you like get that more like 50, 50 instead mm-hmm. of 97, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. three. Um, of course pointed out AWS, like they are the, the leader here in infrastructure as a service. So have almost 50% market share there. Microsoft comes in second at 15 and a half percent and then followed by Alibaba uh, at 7.7%. And then Google at four percent. Wow! So kind of kind of interesting. Alibaba is uh, really making some gains there. Yeah, and Google, Google not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then as part of this theme about like just developers having fun and like AWS is a great play. It's just really talking about their innovation in both compute, and then he also um, talked a bit about containers. So on the compute side brought up Nitro again and just how important that is and it's really reinventing the hypervisor and enabling a lot of new types of instances and capabilities and then also their chip innovations so we talked about the, you know the the custom silicon that they're making their new A1 chip the Gravi- graviton chip which is arm based and seeing like upwards to 40% performance gains for that over the standard you know Intel based architectures um, and then also the um, inferentia chip um, as well for doing the inference. Um, so, you know, pretty pretty interesting innovations there with, with on silicon and then on the container side. Pointed out kind of an interesting statistic that forty percent of customers are choosing Fargate over ECS and EKS. So, Yay. you know, so it's, it's almost half of customers coming, you know, on AWS that are using ECS or EKS or some, you know, they're, they are choosing Fargate. Yeah. And so with that, they did announce the new um, capability Fargate for EKS. Um, so now just like we've had Fargate for ECS and we talked about that at length in, in uh, a previous series of, of MobyCast. We now have that for Fargate, for uh, EKS as well. So for Kubernetes, so yep. you can have you can run Kubernetes in the cloud and not have to manage your 
your hardware, your machines. Cool. And so that was that was the second um, uh, facet, if you will, for for transformation. The third was, is that all you get for your money? Um, which was the Billy Joel song, "Moving Out." And so this was this was really kind of a jab at just modernization and the kind of like go back to some of the the typical suspects that they like to poke fun at. So um, yeah, main themes here were hey get get off the mainframes. Um, so IBM uh, get off that and move to you know become more modern and move to the cloud. Um, the old guard databases with their tricks. So again, we're talking um, Oracle, Oracle, right, and, yeah. and 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 SQL Server, where they're really expensive with high licensing fees, and they keep changing that game. And um, you know, you just need to go to the you know the AWS's position is you just need to go to open source technology based databases like Postgres and and MySQL and, yep. and of course Aurora. And then the uh, third another theme there was just switching from Lin- Windows to Linux. Um, so you know, Windows. You know, again, you're paying licensing fees for every one of those those server installations, versus right. Linux. Linux, you're not. So, um, Microsoft. They, Andy made some some jabs against Microsoft with some of the changes they've made recently with their licensing of Windows, where it's not nearly as portable. The newer versions, where right, you, you can't do the BYOL, bring your own license to the cloud, mm-hmm. and so there was some definitely some some angst with that and just saying like, yeah. just kill your windows. Just he, he's, I think he referred to, <laughs> right. he referred to it as clo- yeah, closing windows. There used to be, that used to be a nice ma- migration path to AWS. So you have all these machines in your data center let's move them to AWS and you can just bring the licenses with you. You don't have to just buy them again. Yep. Yep. And so I guess in, in recent versions of Windows, they've changed that where you just can't do that mm-hmm. anymore. But I think you, you probably can use them on Azure, right? <laughs> so Right, exactly. Uh, yeah. So the fourth one was The Hunger Keeps on Growing, which is the comes from the Dave Matthews uh, band song, Too Much. And the, the basically the overall gist here was that, just, hey, data's exploding. It's not, I mean, we really don't need to be, we, we know this, right? It's just we're moving from silos of data to to big data lakes, we you know storage is is growing really really rapidly, and we need ways of dealing with all this data. So, I talked about how data lakes are becoming, you know, just really important, and and AWS is the most popular um, uh, place for data lakes and for the biggest ones, and uh, S three in particular, right, is the is the yeah. the choice for you know implementation. And so they had a new annou- announcement for um, Amazon S3 access points. And this is just a, a much easier, simpler way to share data in S3 among multiple types of applications or, or users or, or entities um, without really kind of getting into the weeds of, of bucket policies. Um, mm-hmm. So you can define these access points that just for every one of your users or applications and do it on an application basis, if you will. And then you can have, make it really easy to have like hundreds of these access points per bucket and you can have policies on the access points. So you can say, Hey, I only want this traffic to come from within the VPC and what are the kind of limitations that you want? So it's really a really flexible, easy way of managing Permissions and access to your S3 buckets. I so, mean, yeah, but at the same time, I, this may be a little snarky, but it's like 
Now there's yet another way to to like have to troubleshoot why you can't access the data that you're trying to get to in S3. Yep. Right. It's not, oh, I've been looking at the IAM policies forever and I just, everything seems fine. Oh, well, did you look at the access point? No. Yeah. Oh. yeah. Yeah. I, I would, I would imagine, especially for new buckets that people create, like you're going to pick one way or the other. And so it's going to mm-hmm. be either, you know, a bucket policy or it's going to be access points type thing. Interesting. Yeah. So, uh, and then after that, talked about just analytics and just, again, like you have all this data and really what's the use of having it if you can't actually look at it, analyze it and, and, and use it. And so this was a little bit of a um, surprise for me, just how much they went into, they really focused on and highlighted Redshift. Um, So Redshift is their data warehouse technology. They mentioned that, hey, this was launched in 2012 and it was the fastest growing AWS service until Aurora came along and Aurora displaced it. Now Aurora is the fastest growing service. But but up until now, Redshift, up until Aurora, it was Redshift was the fastest growing service. So lots of people using it, lots of adoption. Um, they announced like five or six major new features for Redshift. We're not going to go through through all of them, but just like it was pretty impressive on what they've done. Um, they also have, a, um, they announced new instance types for Redshift. So that this is the RA3 instances um, with managed storage. So basically now you can separate the compute and the storage um, and manage those separately, um, which is getting um, into the, the wheelhouse of some of the other platforms out there, that some of the, the advantages that they've had over Redshift that's now going away. Um, so, right. you know, if you need more processing power, you know, you can manage that if you, or if you really need more storage and processing power is not an issue, then you can just up the storage. Well, and then the main thing around that is that a lot of times people are doing their data analysis, like during the daylight hours or just, you know, they'll, they'll run one big query and need a bunch of power for it and then not need all that anymore. And with Redshift, it was really hard to up and down provision. Mm-hmm. And Snowflake, the the non-AWS thing that actually runs on AWS, was a way to deal with that. So I think this is going directly after Snowflake, just like they went after Mongo last year. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. listens to podcast outros why are you still here oh that's right it's the outro song come talk to us at mobicast.fm or on reddit at r slash mobicast Thank you.